So we're picking up in Acts chapter 8. So if you want to open your Bible uh, to Acts chapter 8, that's where we're going to start. But I think to really start there, we need to recap a little bit of some of the things that we've already looked at in Acts, particularly in the chapter just before us. Uh, For those that have been here, uh, Acts chapter 7 was all about Stephen and the sacrifice that Stephen made. And by the way, uh, that is my name spelled the same way he, uh, his, uh, his name was spelled. Uh, I happen to be named after my great-grandfather, but nevertheless, I share that same name. Um, so if you remember what was happening, the men from the synagogue called freed slaves, which is an interesting title for a synagogue, particularly what they were all about, um, were really upset with Stephen and the things that he was doing, right? The message that he was preaching um, he was actually getting to, to people, helping people become converted. Uh, he was doing a miraculous work, and they were upset over that. And so they tried to debate him was the first thing that they did. They thought they'd sit down because they were learned men. Um, and I don't know how much Stephen was or wasn't, but because they were learned men, they thought they would sit down and they would debate him. Well, it turns out God opened up his mouth and his mind, um, and they realized that they couldn't debate him. Plus the Holy Spirit entered into Stephen and it says that because of that, he was able to to literally over-debate them. And so they got mad. You can imagine that. And so what did they do? Well, they did what any good Pharisee would do. They went out and hired people, paid people, to come back in and tell lies about Stephen. These men came in that were paid, came in and lied about Stephen and said that they heard him uh, insult Moses and God, that he blasphemed both of those. And so as a result, um, the high council believed these guys who were lying, and they, the high council pulled Stephen in um, and asked him to defend himself. What would you have done? Other than being scared to death, I'm sure, I'm sure I know who I am. I'm sure I would try my, my best to defend myself, even though I carry this, the same name. But what did he do? He instead gave this long sermon, uh, and you can read, go back and read it in chapter seven, long sermon detailing the history of the Jews, starting from Moses and going all the way through and explained how they had killed prophets and how they uh, had failed uh, the Lord and how they had gone against the Lord and that they, in fact, had killed the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Instead of defending himself, he kind of put them on report. Everything he said was, was very, very true, uh, but he kind of put them on report. First of all, it's remarkable in, in my mind, looking at it, it's remarkable that as far as I can tell, he didn't have notes like I do. Uh, he spoke off the cuff, and it was obviously the Holy Spirit uh, that was speaking through him and told the exact truth and the exact history of what was happening. So, of course, the high council was not thrilled with the, the, uh, uh, the lineage that he gave them, the story that he told. They were not thrilled at all. So what did they decide to do? Well, they decided that he needed to go out outside the city because they wouldn't want to do it inside the city, take him outside the city and stone him to death. Um, and that's what they did. They took him out. They stoned him to death. Stephen, who was the first martyr, if you remember, saw Jesus standing on the right hand uh, of the father on the right hand of the throne. And I, and I like, um, uh, the couple commentaries uh, pointed this out, and I like the thought, that most of the time when we talk about Jesus, we talk about him sitting 
at the right hand of the Father. That he has a chair or a throne or whatever right there at the right-hand side of the Father. But in this case, Stephen saw him standing. Um, and you might ask, well, why is he standing? And the thought was that he was standing welcoming him into heaven. I love that thought, that Jesus stood up and said, Stephen, come on home. Your time is done. Everything is over. It's all going to be good from here on out. In fact, uh, Stephen did uh, die from the stoning, as you know from the story. So that's where we're kind of picking up on and ver- on uh, uh, Acts chapter 8. Let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 of uh, Acts chapter 8. Oh, thank you very much. It wasn't anything important, but thank you, Jamie. Uh, says this, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And we know that later on, this man Saul became what we now know as Paul, right? But he was there and completely agreed. Because Saul was part of the council and because Saul agreed to this, we know that he was a voting member of the Sanhedrin. And you might say, well, that's great. Why do I care about that? Well, to be a voting member of the, the Sanhedrin, there was a number of requirements, one of which is that he needed to be married. So we can conclude, hopefully correctly I can conclude, that because he was part of the voting council of the Sanhedrin, that he, at the time that he agreed to have Stephen stoned, was married. Hmm. But yet we know Paul later on, and we know that it seems like he was not married. In fact, turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, and I think we can conclude that, in fact, he says he wasn't married. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 says, So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it is better to stay unmarried just as I am. Well, what in the world happened to Paul's wife? Or what happened to Saul's wife before he became Paul? Some people believe that she died, and that very well could be. We really don't know. But the early writings from the church fathers kind of indicate that she did what happened to so many spouses when their spouse became a Christian. She left them. Chances are, high probability, that because he converted became a Christian, we know we're going to read that later on uh, in Acts on the road to Damascus, uh, that he became a Christian and became a very powerful Christian, that she, as a good Jewish woman, left him, um, and from there on out, uh, he was single. Turns out that was very common in that day. Uh, It was a very, for us, it's hard hard for me to imagine what it must have been like, right? Right? the day I converted from, from being a sinner to being a Christian and trying to follow after Christ, the day I accepted the, the Lord, there wasn't a tremendous change in the physical part of my life. I didn't lose my job, didn't lose my house, didn't lose my family. In fact, overall, for me, 
things became a whole lot better. In the early church, that was not the case at all. A person converted and became a Christian, if they had, had a, a business, they lost the business because no one would ever come to them. They weren't allowed to go to other businesses. They were completely shunned. Their family let them go, and if they were married, their spouse would leave. That was very, very common. So for them to become a Christian was a big, big deal, more than just um, a, a change in my belief system. It was a complete change in their life. So, so Paul possibly lost his wife uh, later on uh, after he became a Christian. And yet, turn with me to Philippians, Philippians chapter 8. So a little bit farther back beyond uh, Corinthians, we want to go to Philippians chapter 8. And Philippians uh, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3 in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, we want to look at verses 13 and 14. Um, 13 starts out and says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So it seems, if I put all that together, it seems that Paul was very accepting of the fact that, again, I'm, I'm uh, uh, supposing that his wife left him. He's putting that aside and saying, you know what? That was the past. There's nothing I can do about it. It's nothing I can do to change it. It is what it is. And I'm going to, to press on. And we need to consider the same thing in our lives, right? We all make mistakes. I'm assuming that you guys are like me. I make mistakes, and unfortunately, on a too regular basis, if you don't believe me, I'll give you my wife's cell phone number, you can call her and she'll tell you, it happens regularly, uh, that I make mistakes, that I do things that I wish I didn't do. Um, I, I say things for sure that I wish I didn't say, I take actions that I wish I didn't take. Uh, however, I can't do anything about it. The past is the past is the past, it's over and done with. Let it go, move forward, um, and see what God has for me today, tomorrow, and the next day. Don't let Satan defeat us. Because you know what? Satan loves it when I say the wrong thing. Satan loves it when I do the wrong thing because he wants to be right there in my ear, jabbering away, telling me, you can't be saved. There's no way that you can be saved. There's no way that God can use you. You're nothing but a big fake, which, by the way, is true. Uh, you're a big fake. Uh, nothing, nothing that you can do would ever be beneficial. Nothing can be worthwhile. He wants to be jabbering at me all the time about that, when in reality, fortunately, God can use even a broken, marred, cracked vessel like me. God can still use me. And the same thing with each of you. I, I don't know what your problems are. I don't know how what you, things you fail at. I don't know uh, what that might be. But what I do know is it doesn't matter. Ask forgiveness, move on. God is more than able to use you just like he can use me. And we were talking about this the other night. And, you know, in our walk with the Lord... Now, a little touchy area. There, there's not a lot of theology that I can point to in the Bible on this, but I believe strongly that the Holy Spirit 
resides in each and every one of us. That once we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit uh, it, uh, it becomes inside of us. And here's my visual. My visual is this. In, in Pennsylvania, I lived in Pennsylvania for a number of years, 25 years, they refer to those concrete barriers. You know when you go into a construction zone and you have the concrete barriers so that you don't drive in the middle of the construction zone? If they, they, right, they make you go the zigzag way or whatever. Uh, those are referred to in Pennsylvania as Jersey barriers uh, because originally they were made in New Jersey. Now they're made all over the United States. But those Jersey barriers are set up so that when I drive in a construction zone, I don't drive underneath the steamroller or I don't get in way of the guy or hit the guys that are working on the road, right? It, it guides me through that. I believe that's the Holy Spirit in my life. I believe that the Holy Spirit puts up barriers and guides me where he wants me to go. Even sometimes when I'm doing dumb things, he still is guiding me along the way. And so I look at the past and say, wish I hadn't done that, Jamie. I really wish I hadn't done that, but I did. I ask for forgiveness. Jamie, I wish I hadn't done that before, so we're not going to do it again. We move on because the God can then use um, what's left of our life, use, uh, use the instrument that is our life uh, to his purpose. So I leave it in his hand. The second part, isn't it great how, you know, we, I only got a little part of that first verse done so far. The next part of that is there was great persecution of the church and the, the church scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Can you put up the map of, of Judea and Samaria during that time? Can everybody see that? You can see the star where Jer uh, Jerusalem is at. The initial early church was in Jerusalem. Now, if you remember all the way back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that was quite a while ago that we did that. That was uh, uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, Jesus, or there was a promise that was made by Jesus that he would cause them to be scattered and spread the gospel throughout Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. So what happened is all these Christians initially were in Jerusalem. But because of the persecution that was going on, they left Jerusalem, not all of them, but they left Jerusalem and they went initially uh, down further in, in Judea. So that's kind of that yellow sort of colored part and went to various towns and areas there. Some of them also left and went up into Samaria, which is the blue part, and spread out there um, to get away from the persecution without realizing they were fulfilling the prophecy that was done, that was given back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Had there not been persecution, probably they wouldn't move. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I don't really like moving. I was in the Navy. Uh, when I was in the Navy, you understand this, I moved 26 times in 10 years. 26 times in 10 years. During the period of time, I read an article in the Reader's Digest. Remember that magazine? Uh, read an article in the Reader's Digest, said that if you move 12 times, basically your furniture has gone through a major fire. Boy, was that, the, that was the truth, huh? You know, uh, you move all those times and things get broken, lost, whatever, whatever. Um, I don't like moving. I'm happy here I am in Newmarket. I've been in Newmarket now for almost 20 years. 
I love it. I'm, I'm hoping that I die in New Market. I'm fine with that. Stay right here and never move again. Uh, my kids are going to have a whole bunch of junk in the basement that they're going to have to deal with, but hey, that's their problem, not mine. <laughs> These people were the same way. If they had been comfortable, they would have stayed in Jerusalem, and the only way you and I would have been saved is that we would have had to gone to Jerusalem to hear the gospel message and be saved and lived in Jerusalem, right? But that's not what happened. As soon as they were starting to be persecuted, they were uncomfortable. And what do people do when they're uncomfortable? Well, move, right? And that's what happened is they moved. And by the way, I'm very thankful that not only did they, they spread out into Judea um, and Samaria, but they, in fact, did go to the uttermost parts of the world, which is where I was at. And so I was able to hear the, the gospel. And isn't it funny? Um, most everybody here is of an age that you may have, uh, have uh, uh, know, that actually know what the, the term catch-22 came from. Um, but isn't it funny that God has this catch-22 uh, that he does. And, and I kind of wonder sometimes if Satan doesn't get tired of this, where he tries to do something to mess things up and God uses it for his glory. Right? It's got to be a little bit frustrating um, for, for him. But here's this catch-22. Satan was trying to stomp out, was trying to destroy Christianity by persecuting these people and hoping that they would then give up. But instead, what happened? <laughs> they spread. And as a result... Christianity spread, churches were planted, people were saved. Uh, this whole flourishment of happened in the early church in the first couple of centuries, all because Satan's plan to stomp out Christianity just failed. Wednesday night, we talked about storms. Uh, on Wednesdays, we're going through uh, Jonah. Um, and so uh, this last Wednesday, we happened to be right at the point where we're talking about the storm that caused, that ended up with Jonah being thrown overboard. Um, we said was that sometimes storms are given to us in life to teach us lessons, to strengthen us, and to create beauty. Did the Christians like the storm that was going on around about them? Yeah, no. No, of course they didn't. I, I wouldn't either. But God uses used that, that storm, that persecution, to grow the church and to create what we now know as, I'm going to call it the Big C Church, because it's a whole lot bigger than Awaken Great Bay, um, this big, massive church of people that are following. And how many millions, probably billions, over the years were saved and are now in heaven as a direct result of what happened. God used that storm for his purposes. Even in this church, you know, we've lost a lot of great people. Uh, I've been here now uh, eight years or uh, eight and a half years or something like that. I've been part of Awaken Great Bay or used to be Great Bay Calvary. And when I was reading this, I was thinking back over some of the great people that have been here for a period of time. And then uh, either they were in the service and so the, the Navy or the Army or the Marines took them away from us. Uh, uh, or uh, a few of them got new jobs or better jobs or their company transferred them. And I was thinking about all the people that over the years that I've known here um, 
that have had to leave. But you know what? Just like with, with that church in Jerusalem, each one of them, and some of them I still stay in contact with, um, they left, but they're flourishing where they're at. They're still spreading the gospel. They're still talking to people at work. They're still actively involved in their community, spreading the love of Christ. And so to some degree, all that's really happened is Awakening Great Bay has gotten larger and larger and larger, spread out over more and more distance. Did you notice in, the, in that verse, uh, in that first verse, that they moved except for the apostles? Did you notice that? That the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Any idea why? No, I don't know either. I have no idea why, for sure. But I wonder if it's not this. Remember what happened to them back when Jesus was being, uh, was being uh, uh, beaten and before he went to the cross and even while he was on the cross. What happened to the apostles? For the most part, if you go back and look at those Gospels, you'll find out that they fled and they left. I don't know where they went, but they fled and they left. And I kind of wonder if they just didn't resolve together, the 11 or uh, maybe Matthias also as the 12th, if they didn't band together and say, you know what? We messed up then. We left. We ain't doing it again. We're staying right here. We're staying solid um, and, and being the apostles right here in Jerusalem. Now, what was God's purpose? Well, I think they needed that early church needed leadership, and they became the leadership that was in Jerusalem. Now, we know later on that they left, but at that, at that particular point, they stayed there. All right, let's move on to verse 2. And I know you're saying in your mind, wow, all that time on verse 1, we're never going to finish chapter 8. And you're right, we're, we're not going to finish chapter 8 today. Uh, let's go on to verse number 2. Verse number 2 of uh, Acts 8 says, Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. So I looked this up. Sure enough, in the New Living Translation, which is the one that I read, and the ESV, which is the one Pastor Jeremy reads, and therefore that's what you're seeing up on the screen, um, it does say great mourning. In the King James, in the New King James, it says great lamentations over him. That's not a word that we use today, so uh, we kind of have a sense of what that word means, but uh, not really. The... Uh, NIV, I put this in there because Chad reads the NIV and then Chad didn't show up today. Uh, but in the NIV, it says, mourn deeply for him. That verse is interesting to me only in that if you start reading commentaries about this, they make a big deal about the fact, didn't these guys know that Steve would be in heaven and they would see him again? Um, and I suppose that's a reasonable question. However, let's just stop and think about an event that happened this week. Pastor Jeremy lost his mom. Now, she was saved. He knows, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's going to see her again, that they'll spend time together in heaven um, and her blindness will be cured, her limbs will be working again, she'll be walking, she'll be singing, dancing, uh, so on and so forth. Still give him a hard time, I think, like she always did. Uh, and, by the way, as you always deserved, if you listen, Jeremy, sorry. Um, but he has a sense of loss. And so I would conclude that Jeremy is undergoing great mourning right now, even though he knows 
he's going to see her again. You know, I lost my folks 43 years ago, which blows me away. I, I can't imagine, that, but it's, uh, that time has passed. But 43 years ago, I lost my father in February, my mom in August. I knew I would see them again. They were wonderful Christian folk. Um, they did as best they could anyway. Uh, but I knew that they were saved. I knew that they were heaven. I knew that I would see them again. But you know, I went through great mourning. You know why? Because I knew I was going to spend 43 plus years without them. And that wasn't ideal. If I'd have had my choice, I'd have had my, my mom was made all my favorite foods. I'd go back to the house and she'd have all my favorite stuff lined out, my favorite breakfasts while I was there, my favorite dessert. She made this, never mind. But I could give you some recipes for my mom. Crystal, that's just unbelievable. Uh, she made all that. I'd, I would have personally liked to have spent the last 43 years going to their house and having all that. My father was, a much, was much like I am. Um, you see me moving my arms around and whatever. And when you're coming in the morning, I give you a handshake and a, and a bear hug. Well, that was my dad. Uh, you know what? I would have loved to have the last 43 years shaking his hand, having him give me a bear hug. You know? So of course I went through great mourning. And the same thing with, with these folks here. They went through great mourning for common sense reasons because they had lost a great brother for a period of time. They knew they were going to see him again. They knew, they heard him talk about the heavens opened up and saw Jesus standing at the throne. They knew that he was going to be there. And they knew that eventually they were going to be there. But they knew that there was going to be a period of time when they were going to have loss. And of course, they were mourning. Look how fast we covered verse 2. Let's go on to verse 3. Maybe we'll get along quick on verse 3 too. Verse 3, chapter 8 says, But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. You know, think back for a second to chapter 7. Where was Saul during the stoning of Stephen? We know that he voted on the council and said, yes, let's stone him. Um, but if you remember back, where was he? Well, he was standing off to the side. In fact, it says that they laid the coats down, so he kind of kept their coats. I don't really quite know why, but whatever. They took their coats off and laid them down, and Saul kind of uh, took care of their coats and oversaw the stoning of Stephen. And so it seems to me like back in chapter 7, Saul considered himself above being in a position to bloody his hands and actually commit the crime, actually commit murder. It seems that way. Seems like he was standoffish and said, you guys do it. I'll watch. Therefore, I'm not committing murder. Uh, I'm okay. And yet here we see now all of a sudden, five verses later, all of a sudden, He's running around from house to house, grabbing people out, arresting them, putting them in jail, having them murdered, so on and so forth. What, what happened? Here was a man that was, he was brilliant. Saul, who turned into Paul, was brilliant. Educated, refined, cultured. Uh, he was a religious scholar, a theologian. Uh, some have said that he had better uh, command of the Greek, particularly the written uh, uh, language of Greek, than any other writer uh, of that day. 
Uh, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the, the top rabbi, the top teacher. He was taught by him. And in five verses, he went from standing off and watching to now not only actively participating, but it sounds like from that verse, he was kind of in a, in a crazed frenzy going around doing what he thought was good work and grabbing these Christians out of, out of houses um, and, uh, and having them killed or, or whatever. Almost like a shark, not that I've ever seen a shark that smells blood in the water, but we all have heard those stories about how crazy a shark becomes when he sees, smells water, uh, blood in the water. It's almost like that happened to Paul or Saul. That Saul saw Stephen killed, and for whatever reason, that caused him to go into this crazed uh, frenzy of killing people. Turn with me to, to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Now, if you'd been coming to men's Bible study, you would know that we just recently studied this, but a lot of you guys haven't been coming, so you don't know, I'm sorry. Uh, Verse 13 of chapter 1, 1 Timothy. And this is how Paul describes himself. Even though I used to, be, used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people. That's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, Paul describes himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, a person who injured others, who were persecuting others. That's how he described himself when he was Saul during this. You ever wonder, I mean, Saul slash Paul was a human being like you and I, right? Same kind of feelings, same kind of thought processes, exactly the same. Stop and think for a minute. How did Saul, how did Paul think in his mind when years later, as a Christian, as an apostle, as an evangelist, as a follower of Jesus Christ, walked in Jerusalem and walked by the spot where Stephen was stoned. How did he think? How did he feel? Well, what about when he walked down the street and went by a house and there's a, a, a lady, a, a wife, all by herself because he remembers he went and grabbed that husband and he was killed. Or walks down the street, and there's a husband that no longer has a wife. And Paul remembers when I was Saul, I grabbed her out of that house, and I had her killed because she was a Christian. Or possibly could he run across kids that were orphaned because, again, I had mom and dad killed, and now these kids no longer have parents because of what I did. i got to believe that Paul, he was a human being. Wouldn't you have had those thoughts? I would. I'm, I'm sad for just the things that I said when I, when I would be uh, uh, snarky uh, or uh, a little bit short with my wife. I feel bad about that. And, and there are times when things trigger me. And I remember back maybe years ago when I said the wrong thing to her. I didn't have her killed. Uh, I didn't have her thrown in prison. All I did was say something that I knew hurt her, and I did it on purpose. I feel bad about it, and I go back and apologize, of course. And she, of course, says, I don't remember. No, that's not really true. If you knew my wife, she'd say, oh, yeah, I remember that really well, and you're right to apologize again, and she's probably right. But I wonder if Paul didn't 
then to uh, think and understand those things. Now, we already led, you don't need to go back to Philippians 13 or Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. We already read that, but here's what he said. Remember, I'm going to tell you again what that, those verses said. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. I hate this when it happens, yet I love this when it happens. When I was reading these verses and stopping to think about it, this was the, uh, the time when the Holy Spirit spoke directly to my heart. Maybe it speaks to you, maybe it doesn't, but this spoke directly to my heart. That, yeah, Steve, you do some really dumb things. Steve, sometimes you just, you're kind of out of control. And sometimes, Steve, you need to go back and apologize and try to make things right, even though that's next to impossible. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, but don't let that affect who you are today or who you are tomorrow or how you're going to move forward. Put it in the past. Forget about it. Uh, obviously, apologize. Try to make it right. But then once it's done, it's done and move forward. Uh, so, uh, have I done foolish things while walking with the Lord? I put it in capital letters because it's, it's so true. The answer is yes. Are there things that I wish I had done differently? And that may be as, as uh, close as a couple of weeks ago. And again, I put it in capital letters. The answer is yes. But it's over. It's done with. I've apologized. I've tried to make it right and I move forward. So I try to forget the past and move forward onto the prize. Now, all seriousness, Pastor Jeremy, if you're watching, this is directly for you. You're doing wonderful work here in Dover. Awaken Great Bay, um, I think all of us would agree, we love, absolutely love Pastor Jeremy. I love who he is, I love his honesty, I love the passion that he has. But does he do things perfectly? Well, no. Unfortunately, he, like you and I, is a human being. And so, yeah, he makes mistakes. He does things wrong. He says the wrong thing, uh, so on and so forth. But I, uh, specifically, Jeremy, I want you to know, put it in the past. Forget about it. You've, you've corrected it. He's, he's great, by the way. Uh, and I've seen this over and over again. He's great about when he recognizes he's done the wrong thing. He's great about going back and fixing it. Whether that be with us or with his wife or in the past with his mom, uh, with his brother, he's really good at going back and doing his best to ask forgiveness and trying to make it right. And then he needs to move on. Why does he need to move on? Well, he's got a whole bunch of people that are relying on him Sunday after Sunday uh, and a whole world out there uh, called, we call Dover or the Seacoast uh, that needs his ministry um, uh, moving forward. God has been able to use him mightily already and I'm convinced we'll be able to use him mightily uh, in the future. Okay, let's look at uh, verse number four. Acts chapter eight, verse number four. But the believers were scattered 
preach, uh, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And we already talked about this, that these believers left Jerusalem and were scattered, but they took the message of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation, and took it where they went um, and, and preached it to those around about it. Do you ever, ever have a campfire out in the woods or wherever? Do you ever have, or even in the backyard, do you ever have a campfire and it gets down to embers? Um, and probably what you ought to do to put it out is you ought to get a bucket of water and pour on it. But for whatever reason, I've been this foolish, you think, well, maybe I'll just stomp on it. And if I stomp on it, I can kind of smother it out. And if you've ever, ever done that and stomped on it, what happens? <laughs> Those embers tend to go like this, right? Um, and they scatter all over the place. And if you're not careful, um, those embers can go out onto uh, 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 the surrounding area and start another fire, right? That is what I think is, is my visual for this. Here's Satan stomping on this, this uh, uh, little fire that started in Jerusalem. He's stomping on it, hoping that he can put it out. But what he doesn't know is as he's stomping on it, those embers and those pieces that are on fire are flying out all over the place and they caused more and more fires to happen uh, all, all over. And if it can happen in Judea and Samaria, not only can it, we're seeing it happen in Dover. And it's not a waking great bay, right? It's just us. This is the great news. If it was just us, we'd, ha we'd have to look at it and we'd have this big burden on our back uh, of things that, that we have to make sure we accomplish. But it's around the corner, restoration. It's over a couple of streets behind us, uh, Dover Baptist. Um, I have a friend of mine that's up in North Berwick at North Berwick First Baptist Church. It's, that's happening up there. It's Heritage Baptist. Uh, it's uh, C3, on and on and on in our, in our local area. We have all these little fires that are going on. Satan's trying his best to stomp each one out. But as he stomps them out, they're spreading farther and farther and farther and farther, giving me tremendous hope for Dover and for the seacoast area. And that is our passion. Mike's passion, Peter's passion, Chris's passion, my passion. Certainly, if you talk to Pastor Jeremy for more than 30 seconds, you find out that is his passion, that what we want to do is spread the gospel throughout this whole region. I'm going to close in prayer. When I do, I'm going to ask Mike and, and uh, uh, Peter, uh, yep, and uh, uh, Bryce, sorry, I wanted to call you Josh. Uh, and I know where Josh is back there, but I wanted to call you Josh. Bryce, uh, they're going to come up forward. And here's what I'm going to ask you. Do you have storms going on in your life? Well, here's three guys that you can come up and, and pray with about those storms. Do you have mourning today? Have you lost a, a loved one? Has something happened in your life that you're mourning today? Well, come forward, and you can pray with these guys. Do you have things that you need to leave in the past that... Yeah, you made a mistake. Yeah, you messed up. You've gone and asked for forgiveness, but you need to now put it in the past. And sometimes that's hard to do. These guys are here so that you can pray with them. Or do you not know who Christ is? Is Christ not an active part of your life yet? 
If not, these guys would be thrilled to pray with you and to lead you into a prayer of salvation. So for those reasons and more, come up and receive prayer. That's what these guys are here for. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Oh, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, thank you, thank you that Satan, although he was trying to stomp out the early church, turned out to be very unsuccessful. And you and your wisdom used what he was doing to spread the gospel farther and farther throughout all of Judea, throughout all of Samaria, and praise the Lord to the uttermost parts of the world, which was where I was at. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and all that you will do. Lord, thank you for this this early church that suffered great persecution, greater than I think we probably will ever know. And yet they did it because they knew there was really only one hope in the world, and that hope was Jesus Christ in their life. Lord, I ask that you would guide and direct us as a church, as individuals, that no matter where we go, that we would be ready to not only be a witness of who Jesus Christ is, but when people ask us that we would be more than willing to share with them the great news of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, again, I ask that you be with uh, Jeremy and Grace and the family as they go through the process of uh, mourning their mother. And Lord, I just ask that all that you do, you allow us to continue to praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Awaken Great Bay in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our church or need prayer for something in your life, connect with us at awakengreatbay.com.